Well, praise be to God for our great God, who indeed does great things in us. Friends, the uh, song we have just sung, I want to encourage you to actually keep your, your bulletins open to page number six. Um, the second stanza describes everything we have preached the last two Sundays. Um, I just want to encourage you to, encourage you to look to it again. I was, it, it's a wonderful summary of where we were and what God has done to regenerate us. So just even as a way of reviewing what we have talked about last two Sundays and as we have taken a close look at our salvation, I just want to encourage you to go back to, to the, the stanza, the second stanza that we have just sung. I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys. That, in a summary, uh, in a way, summarizes uh, Titus 3, verse 3. And then something happened. God, through His Spirit, brought to us the gift of regeneration. And the, the stanza goes on to says, Then your Spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me, through the gospel of your Son, gave me endless hope and peace. Friends, in light of that truth, I encourage us to open our Bibles to the book of Titus as we continue our way through this book. Um, Titus chapter 3, we'll be reading verse 3 to 7. For those of you who did not bring a Bible with you this morning, we encourage you to find a Bible provided in the chairs in front of you there, a black cover, uh, open to page number 998. And as you find this passage, I want to let you know that our church is currently going through the book of Titus, um, paragraph by paragraph, and we have taken a slow motion through this one particular paragraph that we're going to read today again for the third time in the sermon series. Um, today, Lord willing, we're going to complete this paragraph, and then next week we'll move on to, uh, to the rest of the book of Titus. But here's the word of the Lord for us this morning, Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He has poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you bow with me in prayer, asking God to bless the preaching and the hearing of God's word for us. Father, we are grateful 
for the salvation that you have made manifest to us. Oh Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged, we would be equipped, we would be challenged to meditate on this salvation in a way that we would rejoice in it with a joy that's inexplicable, unexplainable. And Father, if there's anyone among us this morning that has not yet tasted of this salvation, we pray that by your Spirit, you would open up their hearts. You would open up their eyes. You would open up their appetites. That they would taste and see your goodness and your kindness in Christ Jesus. We pray that you would be exalted among us as your word is being proclaimed and as your people hear your word. In the name of Christ we pray through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, friends, this morning as we are looking at, our, uh, at this passage, I want us to look at particularly a couple of things that are related to our salvation. We have looked already at what this salvation has done in us, particularly to transform us, particularly to bring us a new life, to regenerate us. We have looked at this salvation, particularly through the lens of what God has done inside of us. This morning, we want to look at this salvation, particularly at what God is doing in relationship to himself. You see, there's, there's two sides, at the very least, that we must consider when we think about our salvation. We think of what God does inside of us, he brings us to life because formerly we were dead. He brings us light because formerly we were blinded. He cleanses us because formerly we were stained by sin. This change is something that God must do in us if we are to be saved. This change is not just a superficial change that God does just to give us a new facelift. He doesn't merely change our behavior. He doesn't merely, merely change our appearances. God does this change in the, in the core of our beings. Without this change, which we call regeneration or new birth, Without this change, we are not Christians. No matter how religious we think we are, no matter how often we come to church, no matter how long we've been a part of a church, without this inner radical change of a new nature, of a new heart, we are not true Christians. An inner transformation must take place in us if we're to become followers of Christ. And last week, we considered who is doing this change. Who is the agent that operates this new birth? It is the Holy Spirit. It's when God pours out richly, 
the Holy Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we are given this gift of new life, this change that happens inside of us. This is one side of our salvation. Today, we're looking at another side. We're looking at what happens between our, in our relationship between us and God. The stumbling block in our relationship between us and God is not only what is inside of us. The stain, the death, the, this enslavement to sin. That God takes care of by, by doing the work of transformation, the, the renewal, the, the rebirth. But friends, just because God gives us a new birth, just because God gives us a a, a renewed nature does not make us right with God. There is a guilt that our former way of life has triggered, has caused. And we are not able to have a relationship with God because of that guilt. And actually, God is not able to have a relationship with us because of that guilt. Unless that guilt is dealt with, unless that status of being guilty and condemned is dealt with. In other words, the new transformation, the regeneration, the renewal doesn't absolve the guilt. Something else must happen to us in our salvation in order that we might begin a new relationship with Jesus or with God. And that something else is called our justification. This morning, as we look at, the, at, at how Paul develops this uh, paragraph about our salvation. In verse 7, he moves on to say, so that being justified by his grace. Do you see that? Before Paul will speak about the goal of our salvation, which will happen at the end of verse 7, before he goes on to say, here's why God saves us, he, he, he says, so that being justified by his grace. Friends, in order for God to save us, He must not only regenerate us, He must justify us. So let's look at this particular truth of justification, the doctrine of justification. Friends, this is one of the key doctrines of the Christian faith. It is one of the key doctrines that has been recovered at the Reformation 500 years ago. This year, we are celebrating 500 years um, of the time when Luther posted the 95 theses um, of his, um, of his uh, uh, protest against the Roman Catholic Church at that time. When Luther discovered the doctrine of justification by faith alone, he became a Christian. Now, let me clarify before this moment, he was a monk. 
He had become a monk by his own choice. He had left, he had intentionally made a choice to leave the, the, the path he was pursuing to become a lawyer. He left all that aside. He left the inheritance that his family has given him. He gave it all up to enroll in a monastery because he felt he was not right with God and nothing in this life matters without being right with God. You can have all the world you can own without being right with God. It will amount to nothing in the end. So Luther enrolls himself in this monastery trying to do everything he can to be sure that he is right with God. And even after enrolling the monastery and starting to do all the exercises, spiritual disciplines in a, in a particular way that he thought were operative, that were efficient, um, every, every, after every ever exercise that he would engage to try to cleanse himself of, of sin and try to show God that he's repentful, his conscience is still not cleared. He sought to pursue God's forgiveness of sins and to clear his guilt through his own acts of penance. Despite all his attempts, he was greatly troubled because he could not find peace with God until he stumbled over the book of Romans. Until he came to recognize and read in the book of Romans that God justifies sinners by faith in Jesus. Now, what does it mean to be justified? To justify or to be justified, well, to, to justify means to declare someone to be just or righteous. It has to deal with, with this legal dimension, legal status. Last week, we talked about regeneration, which is a transformation in our own hearts. This week, we want to talk about justification because our new nature that God works in us is not a good enough ground to justify us before God. In order to become heirs of God's inheritance, something must happen not only inside of us to be brought to life, but something must, be, ha must happen in our relationship to God. He justifies us. And when He justifies us, He declares us to be right with Him. Here's how Wayne Grudem uh, summarizes this definition of justification. It's a legal declaration concerning our relationship to God's law, stating that we are completely forgiven and no longer liable to punishment. Another way to say this, justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and of Christ's righteousness as belonging to us, declaring us to be righteous in his sight. Now, God justifies us. He declares us to be just. He declares us to be righteous even though we have done nothing to earn that righteousness. Even though we continue to live in a nature that is sinful, even though we continue to live in a way that actually still strays away from the Lord, 
We still do things we shouldn't do. We still do things we don't want to do. And yet, in the sight of God, sinners are still declared to be righteous. On what ground? Because we haven't done anything to deserve that status. On what ground? On the ground of Jesus Christ. God takes His righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, and He takes that and declares it to our tab or puts it on our tab. He imputes on us the righteousness of Jesus. And He takes the penalty that Jesus has paid and He counts that payment on our debt so that our debt has been fully paid. Now, who does God justify? Who does God justify? God justifies only those who put their faith in Christ. Faith is not merely an acknowledgement or an acceptance. According to the Bible, faith involves reliance. God justifies only those who rely on Jesus for their salvation. Let me read just a few verses from the New Testament, the book of Romans in particular, that God justifies sinners by faith in Jesus. Romans 6.23, Him who has faith in Jesus, God justifies. Romans 5.1 says that when we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus our Lord. Also in Galatians 2.16, we read that a man is not justified by the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, there is no justification without relying upon Christ alone for our salvation. So on what grounds does God declare us justified? It's not on the grounds of our own righteousness. It's not even on the grounds of our own regeneration. And this is very important, dear friends, because there are some who would want us to believe that God justifies us on the grounds that he makes us righteous. In other words, as we are made righteous, we also are justified as righteous. That is not true, dear friends. We are only declared righteous as we rely on the justice, on the, on the justness and righteousness of Jesus Christ. God imputes the righteousness of Jesus on us, and that is the only grounds on which we can be justified before God. The, just, the, the do doctrine of justification is one of the key differences that we have with the Roman Catholic Church and with the Eastern Orthodox Church. Let me read to you one of the Catholic theologians who has written on this particular topic and how the Roman Catholic Church thinks very differently than what I have just shared with you about this justification by faith alone. Theologian Ludwig Ott, uh, he says the following, he says, the reason for the uncertainty of the state of grace, the reason for the uncertainty of the state of grace, so we shouldn't be certain about the state of grace, the reason for the uncertainty of the state of grace lies in this, that without a special revelation, nobody can with certainty of faith know whether or not he has fulfilled all the conditions which are necessary for the achieving of justification. In other words, we don't know 
if we have met all the conditions which are necessary for the achieving of justification, according to the Roman Catholic Church, you must meet other conditions in or besides faith in Jesus in order to be justified. Romans 3.20 For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Then in verse 23 to 25, Paul says in Romans, For all have sinned and, have fall, short, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. No other conditions, my dear friends. No other conditions. How can God justify sinners as a gift? Not because we have changed. Not because we become better. Not because we start living a different life. No, God justifies by His grace as a gift. And then Romans 3.24 goes on to say, Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. We receive Jesus by faith, and we receive the justification that He obtained for us by faith. Galatians uh, 2 again says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law through faith in, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Later in the book of Galatians, Paul addresses those who would try to add to their, um, to their grace works as grounds of their justification, as grounds of their salvation. And Paul says in Galatians 5.4, you you who are trying to do this to add more grounds to your salvation than Jesus, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. I want to remind you, these Galatians, they didn't say we're turning away from Jesus and turning back to the law. That's not what they tried to do. They tried to do, well, we're keeping Jesus. We believe in Jesus but we must also obey the law in order to be justified by the law and by Jesus. So it's not just we're justified just by the law. We're justified by Jesus plus the law. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You can't go that way. You don't add to grace when you do that. You actually nullify grace. So, dear friends, recognize that we are justified by grace. And if you wonder, if you're talking to your uh, Roman Catholic friends or Eastern Orthodox friends uh, about one of the differences between how we think about what it means to be a Christian and how salvation is obtained and given to us, this is such a fundamental difference. That if we leave it open to allow that we are somehow justified by grace plus works, we nullify the grace of God. That's how serious Paul is about this matter, about this justification by faith alone, by grace alone. 
Now, going back to justification and regeneration, because this is where it gets a little complicated for us in our own daily lives. What about those verses that speak about living a life that pleases the Lord? What about those verses that commands us uh, to continue to, to persevere? Well, friends, once we become Christians, we can fall in the trap of living lives that displease the Lord. And whenever that happens, we should be grieved. We should repent of those ways. But even as we continue to strive and encourage one another to godliness, to repentance on a daily basis, we must be very careful that we don't mix our progressive sanctification with the doctrine of justification. We must be very careful that we don't mix our legal standing before God, being declared righteous or just in His sight, as somehow now being dependent upon our performance. We should live lives that please the Lord. We should seek to live lives that that pursue godliness, as this book of Titus has been telling us about. But we must never, ever put that pursuit, that striving, as somehow becoming the basis of our legal, righteous standing before God. I love how John Murray uh, distinguished between regeneration and justification. Here's how he says it in his book, Justification. Uh, redemption applied, obtained and applied. He says, regeneration is an act of God in us. Justification is a judgment of God with respect to us. This distinction is like that of the distinction between the act of a surgeon and the act of a judge. The surgeon, when he removes an inward cancer, does something in us. That is not what a judge does. He, a judge, gives a verdict regarding our judicial status. If we are innocent, he declares us accordingly. The purity of the gospel is bound up with the recognition of this distinction. If justification is confused with regeneration or sanctification, then the door is open for the perversion of the gospel at its center. Justification is still the article of the standing or falling of the church. Friends, in other words, we don't live a different life so that we can be justified before God, but we live different lives because God has justified us by His grace. I love how a a British pastor once said, we don't live for justification, We live from justification. That's why the Christian life, even though it's a life of continuing fight, of continuing struggle against our sinful nature, our life is also a life of peace with God. And we have rest in this truth because God has justified us not based on our performance, but He has justified us by His grace upon our reliance upon Jesus. This is why we introduced the song in the last few weeks in our congregation, Not in Me. It's a song that teaches most clearly the basis on which our justification is based. And as the song says, my only hope of righteousness is not in me, but only you. So consider, 
Consider our legal status. We have been justified by His grace. And now the second and last part of our slow motion through the doctrine of of salvation is the goal of our salvation. Consider the goal of our salvation. Friends, we have have looked from where we started off in verse 3, before we were saved. We have looked in slow motion at at the moments, at the key moments of our salvation and what God did to apply that salvation to our hearts. Uh, this, mo- this, this moment now, we look at the goal of our salvation. Look at verse 7. So that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In other, in other words, friends, God saves us for this purpose. To make us heirs. To make us his heirs. Heirs, heirs of his inheritance. Now to be an heir is to belong to the family. When God put his, puts his spirit in us, he doesn't just change our nature. He doesn't just change our legal status. He changes our family status. We are now part of his family. And because we're now part of his family, we are given, we are promised the status, the the, the promise of his inheritance. Friends, this inheritance is such that we will enjoy not until we die. This inheritance is that which we will enjoy enjoy even after we die. We will not run out of life for enjoying the inheritance that God prepares for us. Humanly speaking, if our parents leave, of, leave us an inheritance, we eventually will run out of time to enjoy it. We will run out of life to enjoy it. Because when the day comes that we have to uh, leave this body to be decayed, In the grave, we will leave everything that our parents will have given us as an inheritance, we'll leave it behind to be inherited by someone else because this physical inheritance has unlimited lifetime. But the inheritance that God gives us, the inheritance that God prepares for us is an inheritance that will not run out. We will not run out of life to enjoy it because it's an inheritance in accordance with eternal life. Oh, friends, recognize that this inheritance is something that we are to enjoy forever and ever and ever. And when you have finished the third time of forever, there's still some more forever and ever and ever. Yes, those who have repented of their sins and placed their trust in Jesus for their salvation are saved for this inheritance. But to be an error, my dear friend, to be an error also means that we are not yet in full possession of it. This is a means that our salvation, while it is certain, it is not yet fully consummated. There is still a future experience of our salvation that we will receive and experience only in the future. Listen to the words of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 
um, verses 3 to 5, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His own great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Regeneration. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he goes on and says, To an inheritance. We have been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, to be an heir means also there's still something we are looking forward to get and to experience. Friends, when you are tempted, when you are tempted to think that God is withholding the pleasures of this world from, from you, and you think that you are missing out on what this life has to offer you, remember this. God saved us so that we could become heirs of his inheritance. Romans 8, 32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him graciously, give us graciously all things. Oh, friend, when sin knocks on the door of your heart and tells you, would lead you to believe that you are missing out on the goodies of this world, respond back to that temptation with this promise. God has made me an heir of his inheritance in accordance with eternal life which is way greater and way longer than anything this world can offer me. It's an inheritance that you'll be able to enjoy forever and ever and ever and ever. Oh, friends, use this promise of inheritance as an encouragement, as a motivation to fight off against the temptations of this world that would lead you to try to pursue the pleasures hopes of this world that, are, that might be there for a while, but will all end at the grave. This inheritance, this heirship, is in accordance with the hope of eternal life. Friends, hope, the hope of eternal life. I need to be very clear about this word hope. We use the word hope in, a very, uh, in very different ways in our society. People often say, use the word hope as a wish. I hope I'll get a good grade on my final exam. Students, right? You hope you'll get good grades in each of your classes this semester. That hope is a good wish. Others use the word hope as an optimism. People might say, I have hope that the UT Longhorns will have a better season next year. It's a good hope to have. We've been having that hope for a long time. It's optimism. You are optimistic that they'll do better next season. But the biblical notion of hope is none of those two definitions. It's neither a wish nor just optimism. The biblical definition of hope 
is that hope is a certainty. A certainty. In other words, we could read these words and say, according to the certainty of eternal life, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the certainty of eternal life. Oh, friends, the Christian life is manifested, is described, is characterized by this certainty of eternal life. And this is the one major difference that we have with the Roman Catholic Church, with the Eastern Orthodox Church, that would teach people that you cannot be certain. They should not be certain. There is a certainty that we can have of eternal life because Christians have put their reliance upon Jesus Christ for their justification. We can be certain of eternal life. Friends, what it encourages us in our Christian walk is recognizing that this life that we have because of Christ, because he has justified us freely by his grace, because he has regenerated us by his mercy through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have this certainty. We have eternal life. Oh, my dear friend, I wonder, I wonder if you take time to meditate and reflect on this glorious certainty That if you are in Christ, you are an heir of his inheritance. You don't see that inheritance now. You may not feel it now, but it's coming and it's certain. If there's anyone among us this morning that does not have the certainty. Oh, dear friends. Come to Jesus. Turn away from your old life and rely on Jesus Christ to be the only means by which you can be made right with God. Don't walk away from this service still uncertain. If you'd like to know more about that, I'd love to talk to you at the end of the service. I encourage you to talk to another Christian about what that means. But don't walk away from this place without having that certainty. Surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to God. Ask God to save you out of His mercy and grace. Embrace the truth that if you are to be saved, God must operate on your heart. God must change your heart. God must bring a new nature inside of you. You must repent and believe. And upon your repentance and upon your reliance upon Christ, God will justify you and make you an heir of his inheritance in accordance with eternal life. Last week, I gave you the story of the conversion of Jonathan Edwards. Today, I want to tell you about another conversion story of the Wesley brothers. Charles Wesley was the first of the two Wesley brothers to be justified by grace. It happened on May 21st, 1738. Charles Wesley wrote in his journal that the Spirit of God chased away the darkness of my unbelief. And uh, he meditated upon his conversion experience and he wrote a hymn that describes what God has done in his own life. And the hymn that he wrote says, And can it be 
that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood. And the last verse of that hymn speaks clearly to what, John, to what Charles Wesley understood the day when he was saved. The last stanza of that hymn says, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal, the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Three days later, his brother John came to experience regeneration on May 24th, 1738. John wrote in his journal the following account. In the evening, I went, to, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street. That's how they used to talk about gatherings back then. He said, I went very unwillingly to a, a gathering in Alder, Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And Wesley went on to explain how God had converted him that night. Friends, notice in, in, the, in the Wesley brothers, in particular in John, it was as, as he heard a reading of Luther's introduction to the book of Romans. And when he heard Luther, the explanation that God regenerates the heart and God justifies the sinner through faith in Jesus Christ, that Wesley's heart became warm. Friends, here's a shocking insight. Prying to, prior to their conversion, both of the Wesley brothers were religious men. They were priests. One of them even was a missionary to Georgia. And came back from a year of missions, preaching the gospel to a different nation. And he recognized, as he was sitting in a church service as a priest, or as a former missionary, that he was still unregenerated. Friends, religion, even being a priest, is not sufficient, not a sufficient ground for salvation. The Wesley brothers lived their religious lives, but did not understand the gospel that God justifies sinners by his grace when they place their trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Actually, in the case of John Wesley, his regeneration happened as he was exposed to the truth that God justifies sinners when they place their faith fully on Christ. Friends, I hope that this would be the experience of all of us. This is why we must make the gospel clear. This is why we must make the doctrine of salvation clear. This is why we must know the differences with other denominations and understand we even within our own denomination, there might be people who think as long as I just do the things I need to do, I'll be fine. Our confidence, my friends, must rely on Christ alone. My friends, I hope that as a result of these three sermons that we have had over the last three Sundays, 
that we would be more encouraged, that we would be more clear, that we would be more motivated to understand what God has done inside of us to save us. And as we understand that, I hope that our salvation will motivate us rightly to live godly lives as we await the full consummation of our salvation. And I end with this verse. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for providing for us a salvation which we have not earned, which we are not able to apply to our own lives apart from the working of your Holy Spirit in our hearts to regenerate us. It's a salvation that we, we would never able to appropriate to ourselves unless you would justify us, unless you would regenerate us. We pray that you would do so for any of us this morning that has not yet been experiencing this salvation in a personal way. And we pray that you give us clarity to speak about it and you give us the motivation to live it out. In the name of Christ, amen.